So we will be in the book of Colossians today. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible, would like to follow along in your Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please keep it. So um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 7. And I've been having a blast in this book of Colossians. I've, I've um, taught it many times in classrooms, but this is my first time I've preached through it. And it's amazing when you... And this goes for all of us, not just me. But you, you spend time in prayer. You, you spend time reading it over and over and over again. The depth of God's word just opens up. And you just see these layers that I never saw before. And I've been doing this for 40-something years. So the book is blowing me away. I, I, hope, I hope you two are being edified through the book of Colossians. Thank you. I'll take that as everyone's answer, you know. So, you know, last week, Paul... Paul's passion to see the Colossians grow to maturity and he can present them complete before Christ in the energy with which he put into it. We talked about that. And this week it continues with that. What I want to do is I just want to read from chapter 1, verse 28, which was last week's text, through chapter 2, verse 7. Just read the whole context to you and we'll walk through it. So Paul says this, him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning, there's no slide on this, by the way, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father, guide us in your word today to understand in a greater depth our Savior. So we look forward to what you're going to teach us. In Christ's name, amen. So I titled this sermon, The Foundation of a Healthy Church. And I, I put in bold letters, the foundation. There's not many foundations. And, and, and I, I kind of put a dot, dot, dot. I didn't put the answer to that. The, if you want to pull in the bulletin, pull out the notes. I have them there. Um, the foundation of a healthy church is Christ. I mean, this is Colossians. Colossians, the entire book of Colossians is about Jesus Christ. I, I should say the first two chapters go into great depth about who Jesus is, his supremacy as the son of God, and his sufficiency in his, his sacrifice on the cross. There's no one more supreme than Jesus, excluding the Father. I don't want to you know, jump into the Trinity right now. But Jesus is the supreme person in creation because he's the creator of it. And his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. The supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ is the theme of the whole book. After we get past chapter 2, we're going to see now how do we live in light of that supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. But in the end, the whole book is about him and what he's done for us. So the foundation for a healthy church is Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk through verses 1 through 3 slowly 
as we, we look at what Paul says about that. Verse 1, th- there will be slides here. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. In Paul's missionary journeys, he never came through the city of Colossus or the town of Laodicea, which were sister towns. And there's another one, Hierapolis. They're all in the Lycus Valley. Paul never traveled through there in his missionary journeys. But because the largest metropolitan area close to that was Ephesus, Paul spent three years in Ephesus. And obviously these people would come to Ephesus for trading purposes, and they were exposed to Paul's teaching. They met him. They'd go back to the church at Colossus or Laodicea or Hierapolis and would tell more people about his teachings. So that's how the gospel spread. But Paul wants, for these people who have never seen his face, here's his goal for them in verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now that verse is so packed with stuff, it's unbelievable what's in that verse. First, he wants their hearts to be encouraged, or some translations, their hearts to be strengthened. And here's what I want to do today. I, I, I want to apply this, not just theoretically to us, but very specifically to Cornerstone Community Church. And what my passion is, um, I'm no Apostle Paul, and you guys would agree to that, right? You can agree to that. Go ahead. It's obviously true. Um, but as the pastor here and the elders of this church and the staff of this church, we are thrilled to be part of the leadership here to lead you. And I want to tell you in a few moments, as Paul, as Paul is excited about the Colossians growth, so we too are excited about the growth in this church. And I want to explain that to you here in a moment. But the first thing is we want your hearts to be encouraged or strengthened. Is is it our world today not in deep trouble? And it's easy to get discouraged, is it not? And and to get hopeless almost. If we put our hope in this world. But, and and we do put some hope in this world. We really do, everyone does. I I put some hope in some things for the future. That, you know, that, 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 um. But, but they're temporal things. I know they're temporal. I know they can change. I, I said it last week, and I never, mean, I never mean disrespect to God, but if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plan. Because don't regularly, you make plans and they don't work out because he has other plans? That's the nature of this world. But there's a plan he has. That is the Christ returns and raises us from the dead and sets up his kingdom. And that will not be shaken. So that is great hope, which then can bring us the encouragement and strength we need. So let's be here to encourage and strengthen one another. But he wants their hearts to be encouraged. Verse 2, being knit together in love. I'm amazed at the growth of your concern for one another in this church. And we, we know that love is more than an emotion, do we not? And... And the emotion in love is very important. To love coldly is not love. But love that then moves us to concern and care and action. I see it more and more in this church. And so with the Apostle Paul, we, the leaders of this church, want your hearts to be encouraged, strengthened. We see that we are being knit together in love in this church. And then here's the reason for that. Encouragement. 
and that unity and love. That knit together in love is a beautiful imagery that God is knitting us. Or how does knitting work? Like this? I don't, I've never knit before. But you get the imagery, right? We're bound together in love to this goal, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's a mouthful to say that you would know who he is, have a relationship with him, adore him, and share that together. And this is the foundation of the church. I want to explain more what I mean by the foundation in a moment. But it says there, understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In the previous chapter, he was very clear on this, that prior to Jesus coming, the world didn't fully grasp this idea of God becoming human, dying on the cross for all mankind, not just Israel, and that, and that when you trust in Jesus Christ, Christ actually lives in you. And that is the mystery, that everyone who believes doesn't matter their nationality, doesn't matter where they're born, who their parents are, their, their pedigrees, their education, their bank accounts, doesn't matter. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, he resides in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Before that, it was all focused on Israel. And if you're not a Jew, you were alienated. You were estranged from God's promises. But Christ brought it to every one of us in the entire world can benefit equally from this wonderful thing called the incarnation, the life of Jesus, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God. That is the mystery of God. And a mystery not, the mystery meaning it wasn't revealed until God revealed it to his apostles and prophets. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that clear. Which is Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's look at that again. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much is all? Does all mean all without exception? I think we need to meditate on this. I encourage you to do that. What does that mean for my daily life? What does it mean for my adoration of him? What does it mean for my pursuit of knowledge of the world? What's Christ's role in all of knowledge, in all of wisdom? Th this comes back to a question I've asked this church many times and asked myself. Have we added Jesus to our life? If we simply added Jesus to our life, or is Jesus my life? It's a huge difference. If you've added Jesus to your life and all the other things in your life, which is not unusual today, it's, it's kind of what the world tells you to do, don't, don't get too freaked out about this Jesus thing. Okay, don't become a fanatic. It's okay to believe in him, but don't let him control your life. Well, guess where that message comes from? The devil. You know, just dabble in it. But don't make it the heart of what, who you are. Jesus should be the heart of who we are. He is our life. In all wisdom and knowledge, since he's the creator of everything, everything, according to Colossians chapter 1, then he's the one that causes the systems to work. And he's the one that's, that, that, that is providentially controlling all things in some way. So when, when we explore any area of life, any subject matter, 
Christ is the key. I can't say that I can fully understand this because I haven't fully implemented it myself. But, but I do remember this. I've told you this before. The day I became a Christian, I became a Christian Friday night, Saturday morning, 4 in the morning, and went home, went to bed, and I was told to go buy a Bible. So the next day I got up at noon, went down to the Bible bookstore on Audi Boulevard in Reno and bought a Bible. But as I'm walking up, I looked at the headlines, and this was back when they had newspaper stands. Do you remember that? <laughs> so the newspaper, I looked at the headline of the newspaper stand. I don't remember what the headline was. I really don't. But I remember seeing that headline through new eyes. All of a sudden, I'm a new person now. I'm following Jesus Christ, and I have a new worldview that filters everything through Jesus. It was an interesting experience to confirm in me that everything I do in life, everything I learn and pursue, and the wisdom I want and the knowledge I want, to make sure Christ is the center of it, Christ is the mediator of it. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Christ So, Christ is the foundation of the church. The foundation. And maybe this is obvious to you, but I think current trends in Christianity, and I've been part of them, been a pastor now, I'm in my 29th year now. Um, we say, how, how can we get people to come to our church? How can we get the unbeliever who has no interest in coming to Christianity, come here to listen to it? And so you devise all these plans, all these, all these, you know, the church building, the music, the, the lights, all these things that are important. But all of a sudden, have we sometimes shifted from Jesus to being the foundation and center of our faith to the means by which we use being the foundation of our faith? We would never say that out loud, but has that happened? And, and, and by means, here's what I mean. This building is a means by which we proclaim Christ. You came here to 300 Country Club Drive today to sit here in this beautiful building. So this building is a means by which we gather. And, and if I say, well, this building is the most important thing in our faith, what are you going to say? Burn it down. Okay, one or Jim back there, Jim, Jim built the building. He's going, no, 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 no. Jim, it was metaphorical, Jim. I mean, it was metaphorical. Um, this building's a tool. God, the gospel, never changes. It never changes. Someone is coming to Colossus and it's changing it. The gospel, and the center of the gospel is Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. That's the center of the gospel. Look at the verse of that in a minute. That never changes. That is our message. Then we have means by which we proclaim that message. And the means are important, but they change regularly. Let me give you an example. I, I've used this before. You guys know what a megachurch is? Megachurch is just a massive church with thousands of people. And, um, and they have multiple campuses. Megachurches are growing and growing. Um, but one of the first megachurches, before they even had the term megachurch, was back in the 50s, a pastor named Jack Hiles out of the Midwest. And he, he built a church of thousands of people. And his primary means by which he got people to come to his church was he sent buses out into the neighborhoods to pick up children. 
And parents would go put their children on the bus. The parents didn't come. They just put their kids on the bus to this Baptist pastor's church. And then guess what happens? The kids come home and guess what they do? Hey, mommy, daddy, this is what we learned at church today. And mommy and daddy go, well, I don't know anything about that. So the parents came. And, and it happens today too. But what if we had, let's, let's, let's adopt that means. And let's get a bunch of buses and send them out in the neighborhoods and say, come on, kids, get on my bus. What do you think would happen to us? Yeah, the police, quickly. You see, that was a means that worked in the 50s. Today, we don't trust each other with our kids. So, and, and there's enough evidence to say why. So the means changes. The message never does. If we put too much emphasis and hope on the means, that becomes the foundation of the church then. And Christ must remain that central aspect, which the book of Colossians is bringing to us with great clarity. The idea that Christ is all the treasures, in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul uses that phrase about three or four times. I want to read one to you in Romans eleven thirty three. I don't think there's a slide for this. I think I added this this morning. Oh, the, he's talking about the gospel here. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. So Paul drops into this, what's called a doxology. After he's explained the gospel in Romans from chapter 3 through 11, he, he stops, steps back and says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. Well, what, who is the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God, according to Colossians? Christ is. So this is what we've been learning here. Let me summarize Colossians for you so we don't, we don't forget. Christ is the image of the invisible God. But back up. A few verses, that, that's Colossians 1.15. But Colossians 1.12 and 13, it says that God has transferred you from the domain of darkness run by Satan to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's an identity shift from belonging to the evil one to belonging to the son. Identity shift. Well, who is this son? Colossians goes on. He's the image of the invisible God. No one has ever seen God at any time ever. But Christ has become human to reveal the Father. He's the firstborn of all creation. Or the translation, he is preeminent over all creation. Why is he preeminent according to Colossians 1.16? Because he created it all. Everything that was ever created is created by Jesus Christ. He is, he is before everything and he oversees everything and everything holds together in him. That's what Colossians 1 tells us. The beautiful truth of that that, that really should influence our science as we look at how the world fits together, it's Christ holding it together. That's not a slam on science. Science has showed us the intricacies of this universe are incredibly amazing. We need to take the next step and say, that's you, Jesus. You're the one that has put this together. You're the one holding it together. Then Colossians goes on and says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the one we serve. We are his body. Everyone in this room that believes in Jesus Christ belongs to the body of Christ. We are a unit. We are unified. Christ leads us. And we've been all gifted differently. 
to take his message to serve each other and take his message to the world. He is the head of the body. And he's the firstborn from the dead, Colossians tells us. He's the first one to rise from the dead to never die again. There's probably in Scripture prior to Jesus' resurrection a dozen people who had been raised from the dead. I'm guessing that, about a dozen. They all died again. Jesus is the first one to not die again. It goes on, but I just forgot the next one. So I'll stop there. That, that is a summary of who this Christ is. He's the one we serve. He's the one we adore. He's the one that lives in each one of you. He, in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we need to, as Paul says, I labor and strive to present everyone complete in Christ. I want us to realize the treasure we have. That we rethink, have we made him part of our life, simply added him, or is he our life? And there's a parable in Matthew 13. I think it's Matthew 13. It's the parable of the pearl of great price. It's a very short parable. Jesus tells a story of someone finding this pearl hidden in a field. And he sells everything he has and goes to purchase that field. Because nothing he has is valuable as that pearl. So I'll give up everything I have to get that pearl. That pearl is Jesus Christ. Do we have that passion? Do we really believe that in him are all the wisdom and riches, all the riches of the wisdom of knowledge? I said it wrong, but you know what I'm saying. I was, I was quoting two verses at the same time. <laughs> I confused myself. I would say none of us have arrived, but we're on a journey. And our goal is to encourage each other and help each other to get there by being encouraged and knit together in love. So, I'll come back to that in a minute. Verses 4 and 5. The Colossians are standing firm in that foundation. You see, someone has come into Colossus and is trying to deceive them. didn't work. Look at verses 4, 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. See, plausible arguments to say, oh, Jesus isn't the treasure of knowledge of God. He is not that. Jesus is simply a good teacher. Jesus is a God that, that, that was, was human first and God turned him into a God, which is a heresy. Jesus was a created God. Arianism that was condemned 1,600 years ago. All these different plausible arguments come through church history. Jesus is simply one of the ascended masters like many other people. No, that's all hogwash. Jesus is incomparable. He is God become man and deserves our full devotion and attention and not listen to any argument that would diminish him. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, that if someone comes to you, whether it's me, he says, I, he already brought to you the gospel, but if I come and change it, I'm damned, I'm cursed. If an angel comes and talks to you, it's not true. If someone sends you a letter, it's not true. There is only one gospel, and we don't get to modify it to make us feel better. We don't get to modify the message to get more people to sit in our church. We have one message the gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, there's many Jesuses out there. Many. Many Jesus, people, people or people who call themselves the Messiah 
or people who want to modify the message of the biblical Jesus to make him more palatable. Today, it's not popular at all to say, do you know that you are dead in your sins and you're damned and God's wrath is upon you? How popular is that to say today? So let's not say it because it offends people. What have we just done to the gospel? We've gutted it. Because what's the good news? What's the good news in relationship to your sin? You've been redeemed. You've been freed from it. It's been paid for. Christ has victory over it. All these things. That's the good news. All that goes away if we get rid of sin. So there's a gospel message given to us we must hold dearly to, and Christ is the center of it. We don't bring in a different kind of Jesus. We have one Jesus. The ones Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John teach us about, the Gospels, the life of Jesus. The one Paul tells us about, that Peter tells us about, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us about, the, the writer of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John talks about. That's our one Jesus. So, let not anyone delude you. And do you know how you keep from being deluded? Exactly. Stay in the Word. Know your Word. And, and I always say this, God gave you a brain, he gave you the Bible, he gave you the spirit of God inside you to guide you, and he gave you the people of God. Those four things assist you in reading your Bible. Use your brain, engage it. Trust the spirit of God to guide you through scripture, to teach you, he's the, he's the teacher. And sometimes we'll get off course, but if we do this together as a group, we will keep each other from getting off course. That's what the body of Christ is for. Pursue Christ in his word. All right, so verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, that, that passage there, verse 5, says Paul's pleased with them. They haven't bought into this guy's baloney who's preaching this stuff about Jesus, changing Jesus' identity, changing his word. They haven't bought into it. He's pleased with them. I'm, I rejoice to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Those two words, good order and firmness, are military terms. And, and so Paul may be because Paul is in prison, and he's probably seeing soldiers. This is possibly why he chose these terms. So, the, you know, the, the, the good order, the discipline of the army and the firmness and the determination. So, so maybe he used it for those reasons, but I'm rejoicing to see it in you Colossians. They are holding on to Christ. They have not, not, have not been deceived by the teaching of a false Christ. So in light of that verse, I am in our elders meeting this last week and in the staff meeting this last week. I asked everyone, I want you to write a letter to Cornerstone Church or pretend, presume you're writing a letter to Cornerstone Church. I want you to tell me one thing that you would praise them for. So the leadership of the church, the elders and the staff, here's what they answer me. This is what they would write to you. They are excited about the high number of people involved in ministries and serving. Have you ever heard the 80-20 rule? 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work? It's not true of this church. You people have been stepping up like unbelievable lately. 
whether it's, whether it's to join groups, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, home fellowship groups. There's, there's well over 80 to 90 people in those groups. There are, of a church of attendance this morning, probably 130. Serving opportunities, you guys are stepping up and filling them. There's always more room, but pl- thank you for saying, you know what? I was called, I was saved to serve. Saved to serve. And you guys are doing that. Our events we did, like we did um, um, Incline Fest recently, and it's amazing how many people came out and said, hey, use me. What can I do? And it was a huge success. Small groups, men's and women's, mops. Mops has doubled since last year. You guys know what mops is? Mothers of preschoolers. And it's a phenomenal thing. We have mentor moms whose mo- children are grown coming in. We have, uh, it's about 19 ladies now coming to these mops meetings. Last year it was half that. Children's ministry is growing in kids and volunteers. On Tuesday night, Gabe's middle school group is 30 to 40 middle schoolers, of whom almost none of them come Sunday morning because their parents don't go to church. But they get here on Tuesday night to hear about Jesus. So people were excited about the high number of you involved in ministry and serving. One of the elders said how excited he was that he had talked to Heike, and over 80 people are on our prayer in our prayer group. 80 of you pray regularly for the concerns of this church. And that's amazing. A couple of people said how warm and welcoming and approachable you are. Which you can see during our greeting time when we stand outside and, and eat health food and drink coffee. That, talk about means, by the way. Do you know when someone comes to visit a church, this is now we're back to means, why people come to a church and stay. They will come to a church, how they're greeted at the door is huge. Do they feel welcome here? Then, the worship music is very important. And then, if they have children, do they sense the children's ministry is a safe, profitable place for their children? Those three things, the greeting they received when they walked in, their children's, the reception of the children's ministry, and the worship music, they've pretty much made a decision that they're coming back before they ever get to hear me. If those three things are on spot, I can be mediocre, and, and they will stay. If I'm phenomenal, okay, when you got to beg for it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't count. Um, but those three things aren't there, they don't stay. You see, they want that relationship. They want the experience. That our culture wants the experience of the worship. It's huge. And they want to know their children are saved and the responsible people leading them. You guys are killing it. Thank you. The, the another thing that many people said... Another one that many of the people said, elders and staff, the age demographics of this church is, um, is has been um, spreading. We have great representation from the young to the not so young, and um, and and it's it's COVID kind of knocked me down. COVID revealed that we have some issues in our discipleship process. In, in the way we responded to each other. We weren't necessarily kind to each other in the middle of COVID. Um, so we have some growth to do there. But 
many people left Incline Village during COVID because they sold their house and made a ton of money. But also a ton of people came in. Who bought those houses? People came in, and it was people of all different age groups. And they started coming here. We have this great group of people here, from single young people to young marrieds to people hitting empty nesters to people long into retirement. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And I don't know if you know this, but if, uh, many, if you go to many Christian evangelical churches, the overwhelming majority of people there are gray hairs or no hair. And, and that's wonderful. But if we want to pass our church on to the next generation, we need to be a place they want to be at. And that's happening here. Thank you. You take the gospel seriously is what one of the elders said. By, by that meaning, you've come to understand your sin, you're trusting in Jesus Christ, and you realize you are now an instrument in the hands of God to be used to bless other people. You're taking that seriously. That's how someone sees you in this church. And for me, and Matthew, Matthew who's our, our church administrator, um, and he does the books, um, you guys are generous. Thank you for your generosity. And, and realize that's just one mark of a, a, a mature church. But the people of this church are generous people, so I thank you. Um, so I wrote two pages out of these things, and I just want you to be encouraged that the leadership of this church sees it. Um, I didn't want to say, hey, tell me the things this church needs to do better. Because we came up with that list too. You guys came up with that list. But in 1 Thessalonians, Paul praises the Thessalonians for their faith, their hope, and their love for one another. He praises them for their faith, their hope, and their love. Then you know what he says? Same thing I'm going to say to you. I praise you for your faith, your hope, and your love. But as Paul says, let's excel even more. Let's excel even more. Because we can. We all have areas to grow. The Spirit of God is in us. The work is not done. So I look forward to being part of this in the future. So the last part, what this means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. What it means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Last two verses. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, so right there, and th this is the transition to the next paragraph. We'll start next week. But, but here's the thing here. So how did you receive Christ? See, usually we say, oh, I received him by faith, so walk in faith. Which is true, by the way. It's a true statement. That's not what Paul means at all. Paul doesn't use the word receive as a, as a word to describe the subjective experience of believing in Jesus. John uses it that way. Paul doesn't. Paul uses it dozens of times to say, here, I receive from the Lord the truth about this mystery, Christ in you. I passed it on to you and you received it. So what he's saying here is the teaching I've been giving you about Jesus that you've already received, now walk in him. As it says at the end of verse 7 there, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So for time's sake, I'm not going to read the other passages that show that. Just understand this, that, that Paul, it's very important, Paul received the content of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he did for us. He passed that on. Now he's saying, don't let anyone delude you, don't let anyone deceive you with fancy arguments. 
hold on to that Jesus I gave you, the one I described a moment ago, the, the image of the first, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, as we talked about that. That's the one we hold on to and we don't let go. As we go in the next paragraph, we'll see why. But he ends it with this, abounding in thanksgiving. Stand up with me. The worship team is going to come back up here. And this word thanksgiving, there's three words that the Bible uses to talk about being grateful. There's a verb, a noun, and an adjective. They're all the same word group. It's used 58 times. Those words are used 58 times in the New Testament. Paul uses them 70% of those 58 times. So what's important to Paul is that the people of God are deeply grateful. And he ends many of his phrases just like this. He kind of just tacks it on. Oh, and be grateful. So I leave you with this. I believe you're doing phenomenal in the faith, and I thank you for your faithfulness. Let's all commit ourselves to continuing in that, to excel even more, and to put it all in the rubric of gratitude. Are there many things to be grateful for? We were talking this morning during our prayer time with the worship team and everyone involved that we're going to sing a song called Cornerstone. And someone joked, oh, this is our theme song. And we agreed we're going to make it our theme song. So here's our theme song for Cornerstone Community Church. And just remember that faith, hope, and love that you guys are doing great on, we can excel even more and add gratitude to it. You with me? Father, thank you so much for your mercy in our lives. This is all because of you. Because what you've done in our hearts, you've transferred us from, from death to life, kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of love and son. Now we want to live that life as a child of your kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we praise you. Everybody said, amen.